Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 74 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of April 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 6. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Berjana, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. That time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Father, we thank you again for our time together this morning. Thank you for the blessings that have already been ours. And now, Lord, as we take this most important time to look into your word, we do pray, Lord, that you would just take and that you would meet with us, that the power of your spirit would be upon us, Lord, that you would take and make these words alive into our hearts. You know the needs of every individual here today. We pray that you would speak to their hearts as only you can. We give you the praise and honor for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We thank the Lord that as we have been looking through our passage on the church, that of course we have looked at a number of things already. We've looked at a number of things of what the church is and what the church is not. As we keep those things in mind, we have moved to this point in our study at looking at the present church. We looked at the perspective church, that universal one body of Christ, one church that will be called out uh, at the rapture of the church from, uh, from this place. And of course, as we look this morning, we uh, have begun looking the last couple of weeks at the present church, that local church, and just what uh, uh, is meant by that. And of course, that is what uh, uh, most of the New Testament is written to uh, and about is the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, his body, uh, his work that has been left for us to do. And of course, in defining that church, we have uh, uh, been looking at a couple of things already. And we have seen that, uh, uh, that first of all, in the, uh, in the Word of God, we saw that uh, the local church, the church, the body of Christ is described as believers. Uh, it's not 
brick and mortar. It's not some organization that, uh, uh, that man has, uh, has come up with. It is believers. They that gladly received the word of God and were baptized. So we find that, uh, uh, that it is the people. And as we began to look beyond that, we saw that these believers were also described as a body. And we looked last week at just how that the, the Bible brings this description of the church being defined as a body with each one individually uh, being placed there by the Lord Jesus Christ himself as he builds his church, each one having their own gift, each one having their own role, each one having their part to play in the whole of the body with Jesus Christ as the head. And there's a number of things that that brings into light. Number one, a body is not going to function as well when part of the body parts are missing. Uh, Want to try it? Let somebody tie your hands behind your back. <laughs> try to do all the things you normally do. Uh, take one leg and just tie it up. You know, matter of fact, you know, you can go beyond that. You know, just uh, uh, just try doing without one finger or any part of your body, your ears, your eyes, your nose. Simple truth is, even many of the parts that you can't see, you don't want to give up. I promise you. The church, the called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is made up of believers only, those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a people. It is a body. All of those individual peoples being joined together to work as one body. Now, yes, one day, that will be a perfect body. When at the rapture, all those true believers will be called out of here, and for the first time ever, all of the true believers of this glorious church age will be joined together in the sky, the one true church. We find that until that day, though, it is the local body of Christ. This is what Jesus Christ has left behind for his work to be accomplished. It is the local church that when they believed, they were baptized and became a part of that local body that is how the work is carried forth. You have a particular role, a particular part to play in the work of Christ that he's called you to do. That's not to be done as some lone ranger, maybe with a tonto dragging along behind. It's meant to be done as a body together, each one. We see that as we look forward in Scripture, though, today, I want us to move on and we find another description you know, the Lord really makes it easy sometimes because a lot of times I, I like to alliterate things and start them with the same letter just to help you remember because I know that week after week after week, there's, there's so many different things. But, you know, I mean, it's the Word of God that says it was them that believed. It's the Word of God that says it was a body. And it's the Word of God that also calls it a building. A building. We find that in our passage that... Uh, uh, we read there in, uh, in, in Matthew uh, in chapter 16 that the Lord Jesus Christ himself in speaking there, he's the one that said in verse 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and of course if you I'm sure have heard and, and, and read many times that uh, 
Uh, the word here, Petros, literally was speaking of a, a little rock, a little, a little stone, if you would. Peter, you didn't come to know this by yourself, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was God that has revealed this to you. Peter, you're just a little stone. You're a little rock. But he says, and upon this rock, the big rock, that rock which is what he just named Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus used the terminology, I will build my church. Thank God for the just sheer confidence that we can have in the fact that it's Christ that's doing the building. Man has a tendency to make a mess of things, sometimes without even trying. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I can look back over my years in, 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 in the ministry, and I could, I could make you a list this morning of churches that I've seen and heard of and known that it was at that very time when it came to building, a time when there should be excitement, a time that should be very encouraging to anybody, that they end up splitting and dividing and being torn down instead of being built up over silly things to do with the structural building, not the spiritual building. I read this, and I thought that it might make you smile. It was about a certain congregation that was about to erect a new church. I mean, the Lord had blessed, and, and they needed to build a new building. They needed more room, so they naturally had a building committee. And they began to have their church meetings. And so in consecutive meetings, four meetings, one right after the other, this is the resolutions that they passed. First of all, we're going to build a new church. We shall build a new church. Second meeting, the new building is going to be located on the site of the old one. So we're going to build a new church, and we're going to build it in the same place as the old one. The third meeting, the material in the old building is going to be used in the new one. So we're going to build a new church, we're going to put it on the same spot as the old one, and we're going to use the material out of the old one to build the new one. And then the fourth week, we're going to continue to use the old building until the new one is completed. <laughs> That's the way man thinks a lot of times. Man doesn't even have to try. But we're talking about a building, folks, that we want to see very clearly. It's not the brick and mortar that man tends to <laughs> have trouble even getting that together. But Jesus Christ has promised to build his church. Look with me into the Gospel of Luke and chapter 14. Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. A very challenging thing. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, he gives a number of parables here, one right after the other. But I want to call you to your attention to one that is in verse 28, 29, and 30 there. Jesus asked a question. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest, happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Some of you, as I myself, have probably seen this in real life. 
where the people have begun a building project. And they've started out and they may have got a foundation and they may have, 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 have gotten so far along in the building and suddenly they realize this is costing more than we thought. And partway through, they have to give up and stop and it never be completed. Jesus has asked a very common sense question. Who with a brain at all is going to start to build something and not sit down first and count the cost? What is it going to cost to build this tower? If you don't, you get through and you get part of it done and you run out, people are just going to mock and make fun of you. Look what he started, but yet he wasn't able to finish it. Aren't you glad today that it's Jesus Christ that's building his church? As we look to see what his church is, he's promised to build it. He's the one that has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Folks, the truth is this. He's the one that counted the cost. And according to the word of God, he paid for it with his own blood. It's all been paid for up front in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, the songwriter says. Look with me at another passage that we have read already as we looked at a number of the scriptures in Ephesians describing the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, notice what he says here again. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Where God says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building." fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I want to remind you this morning, the church that we're looking at, the church that is defined as believers, that is defined as the body, that is defined as a building that Jesus Christ himself is building, he's doing the building, he counted the cost, he paid the cost in full, he laid the foundation, he's the one. The Bible says here, I like the way, framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. He's doing the framing in as well. I mean, he's building it himself, he's doing it all. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone that holds it all together. Notice what Paul, in writing to young Timothy, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, remember young Timothy, Paul giving him advice as a young pastor. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 15, the Bible says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, that's pretty important. 
You need to know how to act. You need to know what you're doing. But notice how he finishes off, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You see, the church is not only described as a building itself, but this church that is being built by Jesus Christ, that the apostles and those prophets were the foundation, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, each one of us being framed into that building as he want, and it's that building that's known as the church that is the pillar that holds it into place, the ground for the truth itself. That's how God's word was to be preserved, not through the world, not through all of their intellect and education and everything that they can do, but through the church that Jesus Christ was building, that building itself being that which would support the truth that he has left behind for each and every one of us. He also warns the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice what he says there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 10 he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now there's a slightly different analogy here. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He is an individual, had been responsible for part of the building of that. We know as Jesus Christ is building it, Jesus Christ uses people. Jesus Christ uses mankind, those born-again believers that have been baptized, that are part of the body of Christ, that are part of the building that he's putting together. And we're really being given here, counting the importance of how we build, we need to recognize and remember what it is that the church is. It's not just any building. It's not like any other building. As a matter of fact, you recall that that word church itself that we find in our Bibles is a word that was an English word that spoke possession of the Lord's. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about just any ecclesia, not just any called out assembly, but the one that's called out that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself we need to be careful. He's warning young Timothy here. He says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Whatever responsibility that the Lord gives us in this, we got to remember, folks, this is not a worldly organization. It doesn't operate like a worldly organization. It is the church of the living God, the holy temple in which the Lord it is. We're not talking about a building that he's building of brick and mortar. We're talking about a spiritual house, a spiritual building. And Jesus Christ, he is the builder that he takes. And what a great privilege allows you to be a part of what he's doing we ought to be very careful indeed how we attempt. People try in so many different ways and so many different programs and so many different ideas of how they are going to build the local church. Folks, forget the brick and mortar. That's not really the church at all. Remember the spiritual building. You see, what we have here at Bethel Free Baptist Church 
is not this brick and mortar that we are privileged to be able to meet within. It's a group of baptized believers that are part of the body of Jesus Christ himself that is being built into a holy temple, a spiritual temple that God himself lives and dwells within. You see, it's not about building with brick and mortars. It's about building with spiritual conversions. That's how the church is built, by people being born again, by people being baptized into the body, becoming part of that body, being built in a way that Jesus Christ and he alone wants to build us. The church, I said, I, I, I hope and pray, and I'll remind you at the end, I hope and pray that you can begin to grasp the glorious church of Jesus Christ, how much the church means to him, and not just that one true church that will be called out at the rapture, but the present church right now that we are privileged to be a part of, that Jesus Christ has left here, that he works through, that it's his body, that it's his work to be done in, and yet we take it all so lightly so many times. Believers, body, building, all of those things. There's a fourth one that he gives us, a description for the church as well. And he started it with a B as well, not me, and that's the bride. <laughs> the bride. You see, we look back to, again, our passage in Ephesians that we have read a number of times, and I would, I would call your attention back again to Ephesians chapter 5. There in Ephesians chapter 5, remember, beginning in verse 21, he said, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. A mystery. He said it's a mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church, the groom and the bride that he's just described there. 
If you look over into the book of Revelation, chapter 19, notice there in verses 7 to 9, he says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You see, you read the Bible, you find literally, we believe that the Word of God means what it says. This is not some spiritual make-believe thing. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb, a real marriage supper taking place in heaven where the bride is being presented to the groom spotless and holy and without blemish. Oh, I want to tell you, we've seen some pretty elaborate weddings in this world. You've seen nothing like this wedding that'll be taking place there. It'll be the wedding of all weddings. Paul uses this description. You know, folks, it amazes me, and I don't say this to be nasty, it amazes me how that, you know, some things the Bible really just doesn't give us all the answers to. Some things we're going to have to wait to find out one day. But I find that, you know, why is it that so many have trouble with some of these basic things if you just take the Bible for what it says and all that the Bible says about it? I'm not trying to buy excluding somebody else. I'm not trying to make the church the bride of Christ. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. That's not me that's making that up. Notice what he says then as he writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 7. Notice what he says there in verse 4. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, Ye also are become dead to the law. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church at Rome. My brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Church. You, my brethren in this church, he said, you've become dead to the law. You're no longer married to him because of the body of Christ himself that ye should be married to another, to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that is raised from the dead, the one that rose that third day, him, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You see, the Bible's describing this church as the bride of Christ, as the one that's married to him. He also wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 2, 
He said, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Why? For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Folks, there's no question who the groom is in this wedding. And there is no question who the bride is. It is certain that the bride that is being prepared and presented in Revelation at the marriage supper of the Lamb is the church. And you can put that church, capital C, church, universal, yes, no doubt, when all those true, true believers are out of here, but right now in the present, it's the church, little C, the local church, the body of Christ that is here upon this earth. You see, it is the local church, though very imperfectly so, that should be a reflection of the church, the universal church. We are what people see today. This is the church God is using to build his kingdom today. What people can see, what people can touch, what God works through as people today. Today. I guess it really comes back. We can recall if some of you were, it's not that long back, would remember the uh, the royal wedding that took place not too long ago. And on that occasion, you didn't hear it, you can go back. That was a couple of pretty long sermons. I don't have time to preach it all again to you this morning. But entitled, A Royal Wedding. That was dealing specifically with so many of the things concerning this royal wedding with the King of Kings, about the Jewish customs that were involved as we look through the Scriptures, how it becomes so, so vivid and alive because Jesus was there and in those Jewish customs, and he's using those things to give such a vivid picture. We looked at the choosing. We don't have time this morning to read all of those passages, but turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Very important. Notice what he says there in verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice verse 4. According as he who, God the Father that he's speaking of here, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We were chose before the foundation of the world to be that holy, blameless virgin, bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father chose us. We find if we look also in the Gospel of John, Chapter 15. Now, you know, we have a lot of problems with arranged marriages today. <laughs> Many times they're very not, not very nice things that go on. But it's not been that many years ago when it was, in all cultures, an accepted thing. We find that certainly in dealing with God the Father and God the Son, 
when our minds start getting off twist, we can't separate them anyway. One's not going to do something that the other one can't do and all this. But the Bible says specifically that God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. But notice what it says in John chapter 15 and in verse 16. Jesus said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, you haven't chosen me. I've chosen you. You see, the wedding to take place, there's a choosing. God chose you to be the bride of Christ. There is no question about that. He did the choosing. The next thing we looked at was the covenant. Now, we looked at a lot of things there. We went back to a lot of the, the Jewish customs and all those things, which was exciting. It was probably a lot more exciting for me to prepare than it was for you to listen to. But, man, I loved it. And so many of the scriptures just, just came alive. But you've been chosen to be the bride. But there was a written covenant, a written deed of marriage that would be written. We find that we looked at all those things, but if I can just Null it down to all those things that take place. Folks, you got a written contract of marriage right here. The very Word of God. We not only looked at the covenant, but then we looked at the collection. You see, right now, the bride has been chosen. The written contract has been made. But the son has returned back to the father. Right now, the bride is simply waiting in anticipation for the groom to return to get her. The groom went to prepare a place. <laughs> and when everything is ready and when the father is satisfied that all is there, everything is as it should be, the groom is going to return and collect his bride. We find those beautiful words that are written to us in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's when the groom's coming back for the bride. He's coming to collect his bride and then following that, the choosing, the covenant, the connection, we look at the consummation. The wedding had to be consummated. After Christ comes for his bride, there will be a consummation, but it won't be a physical consummation. It consummates a physical marriage in this world. It'll be a spiritual consummation, praise God. And do you know, for the first time, you'll have that glorified body. You will be sinless. You will be the perfect bride. And do you know that it was only then only then, after the bride, after that consummation had been made, then is when the bride, in all of her fine array, was presented to everyone else. Folks, oh, what a, what a day that's going to be. The day that we wait for. 
the consummation when we will have those glorified bodies. Notice what he says in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, as we look at one verse there, verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The consummation of the wedding, folks. You. And then the celebration. That's what we read there a while ago in Revelation chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding feast that the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, that'll be there at that wedding feast, at that marriage supper, are those that are wed to him. Wow. My mind can hardly contain the beauty of, of just what the church really is to him. Why is it today? Why is it like so many of the great doctrines? Remember, this is number 74 in our series on contending for the faith. And there are fundamentals of that faith that we must contend for, that we cannot move on, that we cannot change no matter what. And I'm saying the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the doctrines that is under attack, that is being belittled, that is being pushed aside, but we need to contend for it and we need to stand up for it and we need to fight for it no matter what. Not just the world but quote-unquote Christendom as a whole is doing with it. Wow. You know, I'm going to ask you a question today, a very simple question. We're talking about the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Church that is made up of them that believed and were baptized of people that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that are part of a body, the body of Christ himself. It is how Jesus Christ is present in this world today. Yes, he's at the right hand of God, but he's ever present here, but not in the world, in his people in those believers that have been made the body of Christ on this earth, the living, visible body that's doing the work of Christ. That's why we're here, folks, not for our health, not for our wealth, not for a lot of things that we want to make it. It's for his purpose, to seek and to save them which are lost that the work of Christ can continue. We've looked at all that in the past. The believers, that body, that building, that spiritual building that is being built as a habitation of God himself, the apostles and the prophets, the foundation, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, each one being framed in, fitly put in place just where they need to be, the bride. You've been chosen. You see, a simple question, 
Jesus Christ has made a proposal to you. You can't separate the bride and the church, folks. What are people try to do? You can't. The Bible makes all these things one. Have you accepted his proposal? Because you see, part of that covenant that we talked about, that written contract, we looked at it. The bride was chosen. But when the written contract was given, she had to accept it. You see, Jesus Christ has proposed to you. He's died on the cross and paid the full price. But today, have you accepted his proposal? Because it's only, it's only by accepting that proposal in your heart that you become part of the bride of Christ. Only by being part of his church can you be his bride. You're saved. If you're born-again believer, then you've got your place reserved for the rapture when he comes to call all of that assembly out and to join them together. But he's left you with the responsibility before that day comes that as that baptized believer to be part of his called-out assembly here on earth, his church, this body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The truth is, is that he's made the proposal. He's made the covenant with you. But have you accepted it? And are you honoring it in his way? You see, I give you this in closing again today. Only you know if you've accepted his proposal or not. I look around. I hope and trust and pray that there's not an individual sitting here this morning that if you know anything, if you know you're here sitting, breathing, hopefully still awake, you know that you're saved. You know that you've believed. You know that you've accepted his proposal and put his faith and trust or put your faith and trust in him. I hope you know that. If not, may I say this with the greatest love in the world? I hope right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're the most miserable person on the face of earth until you get that sorted. There's nothing else in this world that should make you happy unless you know that. And if you do know that, I told you there's some things I'm praying about. And I remind you with those, I said that I'm praying that we can begin to grasp the beauty and the glory of the church for which Jesus Christ died. That's local and universal, folks. You can't read your Bible and not understand that and see that. The prospective church and the present church, I pray that we can begin to see the real importance of the church to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, to his work. And that by doing so, it can raise its importance in our lives. Because we live in a day when it needs to be raised a lot. Church has pretty low priority in most people's lives. And you can kid yourself all you want to till you're blue in the face. You can look at yourself and you can make yourself look just as pretty as you possibly can. How important, really, is the church, your church, to you? What priority does it really have in your place? 
Is it important enough to worry about? Unfortunately, to most people, it's not. I pray that we can begin to see what a glorious privilege that it is to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, to be part of a church where we're united together with fellow believers, that we're united in a bond that nothing in this world can give us, and that our goal and our desires will move forward as his church is that people will see his body, the spiritual building that he's building. So I'm praying that you'll just genuinely join with me in prayer for these things, that you'll open your heart to the Lord. You see, too many times and too many things, why do I take so much time? How, I could have got up here and I could have preached you a sermon on the church in one message and we could have been on our way to the next topic. We're on number six in this and right now, and I've not got to the end of my first point yet. <laughs> Why? Folks, it's important. But it's only going to do something in your life if you allow it to. I don't want you doing something because that preacher wanted you to do it or that church wanted you to do it. I'm taking the trouble to try to go through the Word of God so you can see what the Word of God is saying. That's what's got to convince you, not me. If I convince you, somebody else will come along next week or next month and they'll convince you of something totally different. Let God convince you as we look through his word. I'm praying that you can get excited about what God is wanting to do with you in his church where he's placed you, where he wants to use you, that your life, what you're doing can really mean something. It's not just another fun day at the, at the office or another fun night on the town. It's what the Lord can do with you, something that has purpose in life. And yes, the devil's going to do everything that he can to take you away from that, to get all the wrong priorities in your life. I pray that you'll open your heart to God's word and see what he wants for you. And I pray first of all, Boy, if you're not part of what is one day going to be that prospective church that's called out of here at the rapture, because that's only those that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, I pray today, and I pray that you'll join with me, that if there's anybody here that doesn't have their name written in that book, that they'll do so. Today, while there's time, that as a Christian, that you'll just be honest with yourself and before God. Are you part of the present, local, visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ? His body, His bride. Folks, today, only you, only you can deal with those things in your heart. Only you can rectify those things. You see, I'm going to love you regardless. You just don't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> and I'm going to continue to pray for you. And I'm going to continue to try to do all that I can to help you and support you. But I want you. I want you to know in your life that you're where the Lord wants you. That you, you're opening your heart 
to the covenant that he's made with you, to the written marriage contract that he's given to you. 